Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I am your host, Daniel McDonald. In the book The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor, author Amy Alsnauer and illustrator Ping Zhu reimagined the Milledgeville writer's life for a child's eyes. Pairing vibrant avian imagery with concise storycraft, The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor evokes the worldview of a precocious child who grew up to transcribe the dialogue between darkness and light. Enchanted Lion Books published Amy Alsnauer's creative recasting of a childhood mischievously imagined in time for what would have been O'Connor's 95th birthday on March 25, 2020. I talked with Amy Alsnauer weeks before the cancellation of a trip to Milledgeville, celebrating O'Connor's birthday in the publication of The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor. Amy Alsnauer, the author of the book The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Daniel. It's great to be here. In the author's note of your book, The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor, you describe childhood as the place where our deepest work begins. How do you explore that idea through the life of author Flannery O'Connor? Well, I think something that a lot of people don't know about Flannery O'Connor is that she was an avid author and illustrator even when she was a very young child. So she began life from a very young age, maybe three, four, five, drawing all the time. Biographers describe her room as being littered with her sketches. And she then began writing stories and wrote so many stories that she drove her teachers crazy with all of her stories about birds and geese and chickens. And so she was already becoming who she eventually would be when she was a child. And I think about my own life. I think about the lives of my children. I think about so many famous people whose lives I have explored at various times. And you see that in retrospect, looking back, you can see who they were already present in their fascinations and their predilections, in their obsessions, in what they spent their time doing. So I think it gives us a vision of childhood. We take it more seriously. The work children are doing, even if it seems in the form of a game, is actually serious work. And of course, The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor is a book that at least on surface level, is for children. What are the ideas and things that you want children to take from the life of this author? Well, again, I think for children to come away thinking, this incredible, famous person is not somebody I meet only as after all of their accolades, after all of their awards, but I meet them at the beginning of their life, when they were like me, when they hadn't yet become this famous, this famous figure when they were just starting out. And they can see themselves reflected in her. Another aspect of her life that I think is incredibly important for children is that she was kind of an odd bird. She describes herself that way in her adult letters. She describes herself as a child as being somewhat of a misfit, of wearing braces and corrective shoes and always being a little bit of the odd one out. And again, I think she embraced that aspect of herself and didn't shy away from it. So it became a lens through which she could view others with eyes of compassion, with eyes of insight as she grew into an adult writer. So I think children can see that, like they don't have to hide from the aspects of themselves that might be different. They can actually embrace their strangeness. And do you think that that is a message for young people that has grown since the time of the author's life? 
Probably. I mean, I think there is a lot in popular culture now that embraces everybody being themselves, etc. However, I think with the advent of social media, there is a kind of disturbing conformity going on in young people's lives where they are patterning themselves after, say, an Instagram image or a YouTube image and being drawn to these, these cultural icons rather than really charting a path for themselves. So I don't, I don't know if I could really say it's worse now or better now than it was when she was a child. But there's no doubt that even then she felt herself to be strange and different and charting her own course. And now, of course, uh, you have children of your own. Is Flannery O'Connor a person that you have put forth to them in hopes that they might derive some uh, meaning for, for their journey? That's a great question. My children, of course, are very aware of all of the writing that I do, and I've actually had my daughter drawing portraits of Flannery O'Connor at various times because of this book. So, yeah, so my daughter is aspiring to be a writer and an illustrator, and actually she wants to be everything her parents is. My husband is a philosopher, and I also teach mathematics. That's the other <laughs> other side of my life. I teach mathematics at Northwestern, where my husband is a professor, and my daughter wants to be all of that. She wants to be a philosopher, mathematician, writer, illustrator. But I do think both of my children are very inspired by the choices my husband and I have made to follow the things, follow sort of vocational careers, right, things that we are personally in love with, and they definitely see that through the life of Flannery O'Connor, too. The book really looks at her relationship with birds. Uh, What did you see in that relationship that she had with these animals? Well, I've read something recently, actually, from a mathematician, Miriam Mirzakhani. She's the only woman to ever win the Fields Medal, and she described her work as assembling a strange cast of characters. And she was talking about mathematical entities, right, not people. She said, assembling this strange cast of characters and then getting them to talk to each other. And I think that's a beautiful way of talking about writing as well, that you assemble a strange cast of characters. So when I was thinking about this book, the three sort of entities or strange characters that I was bringing into conversation with each other was Flannery herself, both as a girl and a woman, her birds, starting out as chickens and eventually progressing to peacocks, and then finally her stories and the story itself, the story I was telling of Flannery O'Connor. And the idea was that these three things would begin interacting in interesting ways so that eventually they would become metaphors for each other. And a child, of course, isn't going to speak of the book or after they read the book isn't going to say this is the metaphor that's operating in this book, but they're going to feel it. Children respond passionately and deeply to metaphoric language. And what you have in this book are these birds. And the birds become a metaphor for Flannery herself and for her stories. So that was actually sort of my pathway into this story was knowing about Flannery O'Connor's childhood quest to find the strangest, most beautiful bird. And as you did the research uh, that uh, helped you create this book, I mean, did you gain any insight into Flannery O'Connor's relationships with the birds that she had or with what she saw in the birds that, shall we say, she surrounded herself with? 
Yes, definitely. Well, first of all, in the archives, the Flannery O'Connor archives, there's just endless photos of her with her birds and chickens when she was a very young child. And one of the stories that is fairly well known about her childhood is that she, when she was five years old, she trained a bird to walk backwards. And the Pathé News that made those reels that run before old movies came and, and shot a little film of her training this bird to walk backwards. And then they basically just doctored the film to show all sorts of different animals walking backwards. But Flannery just had an obsession with them from a very young age. And not only was she interested in birds, but she was very particularly interested in strange birds. She wanted ones with one green eye and one orange with long necks. At one point, she read in Ripley's Believe It or Not about a bird that lived for a whole week without a head, and she actually imagined doing it herself, like hacking off the head of a chicken. But she, she said she didn't have a scientific temperament, so she didn't end up actually doing that. But she was just obsessed with these birds from a very young age, but that continued on into her adulthood, and she eventually found the peacock and that and that became the natural end of this quest like when she'd finally realized the the purpose of this quest was to find this bird and then the peacock became a symbol for her not only did she see divinity in the peacock's tail and the eyes of the peacock but she saw revelation which became a real symbol in a lot of her books. The peacock actually shows up in a lot of her books. So this, you, you see this continuity from her childhood, and I think that quest mirrors very closely her similar quest to write the strangest, most beautiful story. So we see both of those things evolving simultaneously. And, and again, it gives children this very concrete way to enter into, into, into Flannery O'Connor's work and life. When one of the things that struck me, at least within the context of your book, is the birds that she seems to gravitate towards are those that have, shall we say, like challenges with flight. <laughs> and flight, of course, takes a large part towards the end of the strange birds of Flannery O'Connor. Is there any significance in that for your, from your research or for you yes. as the author of this book? Yes, thank you for asking that. I found this beautiful little sketch she did. It's probably the earliest sketch in the archives. And it's a figure of a child that's sailing above a turkey that's on the ground. And as I looked more deeply into the archives, I found a lot of her early images are images of flight. And, and then she also has this wonderful story she wrote that isn't published. It's, it's about a character named Mary Fleming, very, very close to Mary Flannery. And so it's a very thinly veiled autobiography. And that story is, is about a little girl very much like her that, that does a lot of the things that, that she does. So the significance of the Mary Flannery story is that in that story, she, she talks about these corrective shoes she wears, and she calls them Tarso Supernator Proper Built Shoes. That's the name that Flannery O'Connor gives them. She also had to wear corrective shoes. So from that, I got this idea that she imagined flying a lot as a child, and she imagined these shoes almost as little rockets, right, these supernators that would shoot her into the world, shoot her into the sky. And so I have this image early on in the book where she imagined the power of these shoes to launch her into flight. And then in the end of the book, I have a very sort of speculative image of Flannery O'Connor sailing above the world after her death, sort of an image of resurrection, if you will. And I think we could take that in both a secular way, just as the longevity of her work existing after, after she is gone, but also in the idea of Flannery O'Connor herself existing through the eternal nature of the soul after her death.
You're listening to a conversation with Amy Alsnauer about her book, The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor. Wednesday, March 25th marks the 95th anniversary of O'Connor's birth. I want to turn now and talk just about this book itself. Can you talk about reimagining O'Connor's life in The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor? Yeah, so again, the story I really wanted to tell was the story that had these three strands, the little girl, the bird, and the stories. So I wanted to begin at the beginning where you see her sketching these little birds obsessively in her room. And then I wanted to carry that all the way through, keeping, always keeping close to the, those three strands, so never getting far away from holding together the girl, the birds, and the stories. And I think that the research I did in the archives was ab- absolutely essential to telling this story. And I really, I think when you tell the story of a child, often there's not a lot in historical record. There's not a lot of their voice speaking. Um, there's not nearly as much as after they become an adult and they are a celebrated figure. That's when the, the real historical record begins. But thankfully to this incredible store of materials from her childhood, I was able to really see what she was like as a little girl. And that gave me a rich context to imagine this person already who she was at a very young age. So rather than having kind of a, a distant look at her, I was able to really get in there and, and, and show the reader who she was, what she was like, what she might have been imagining, and not really straying from history at all because I've seen the things she was imagining. I've held them in my hands. And of course... Flannery O'Connor is a writer who has been much thought of, even obsessed about. Was there any danger in taking that journey with this beloved author? Yes, I definitely think that's true. And to me, the biggest risk was making it hagiography, right? Turning her into kind of a saint and just writing from that perspective rather than really bringing vision to it. So I remember one time when I was reading, preparing, doing the research for this book, I wrote in the margins, this story has to be dark and funny, right? It has to have both elements. This can't just be a light children's tale. And I think we don't give them enough credit if we don't think they can handle something that involves sorrow and tragedy, darkness, etc. So I wanted this story to take people on a journey through those different aspects of Flannery O'Connor's life. Her father died when she was 15 years old, which was a huge tragedy for her, and that's in the book. So we feel the weight of that moment informing, informing her life. But yes, I definitely thought a lot about, about the risk of, of coming to, to a figure like Flannery O'Connor, and that's one of the reasons why I was so happy that the illustrator that was chosen by my press was chosen, because she's not a Flannery O'Connor insider. So I think she was able to bring such a fresh vision to Flannery O'Connor's life. And might you talk about your creative relationship with the illustrator Ping Zhu? Yes, Ping Zhu. So, so from the very outset, Enchanted Lion Books, the publisher, had, had Ping Zhu in mind for this book. This is actually her debut picture book. She's been a celebrated illustrator in New York City for a long time. So the, the collaboration basically unfolded like this. We, we got the, the book into like an edited final copy that was passed along to Ping Zhu. And then she really took it and ran with it. Along the way, she would write to me and get 
historical information. I would send her pictures from the archives. I would send her any information she needed. But I really wanted to give her that space to have a vision. And there was this incredible thing that happened along the way. She was doing a cover for Criterion movies. She was doing a DVD cover for a new release. And they went to her studio to do a little film about what she was working on. And about halfway through that video, she starts talking about her Flannery O'Connor project. And what you see is that she's cutting paper. She's, she's doing all of this collage work, making these beautiful, strange, wild birds and putting them all together into this beautiful collage. And she says such fascinating things. She says, that she feels that cutting paper is like a sketch because you can move the paper around and kind of see what it makes. And she said that this project was so big that she felt like she had to invent a world for it. And as an illustrator, usually you're on these really short deadlines, but suddenly she had years to imagine a world. And so she said, I feel like it needs to have a new approach. It needs to be, it needs to bring something out of me that is really my own work. And she took this project on because she related to that journey of the misfit artist, right? The, the journey of the artist who has a strange vision and sees the world differently. And through that, she connected with this girl, Flannery O'Connor, and brought her own vision to the work, which I am deeply grateful to her for, because I think what we have in this is really a vision, something that I think Flannery O'Connor herself would be very proud of. When she was asked once to write about another figure, she turned it down, ended up writing a really beautiful essay in its own right, but she said, no, I can't write about somebody else. That has to be sort of an internal process. So I think she was always worried about that, that process of hagiography, and I think we don't have that in this book. And as, of course, we're on radio, and I, I hope that you know, our, our audience members will go out and uh, seek out this book and especially seek out the wonderful illustrations by Ping Zhu. But uh, I'll go on a dangerous step myself and ask you, might you use some words to evoke what you see in these lush illustrations that Ping Zhu contributed to your book? So I, I think she captures the strangeness, the darkness, the humor, the hilarity, all of which is so present in Flannery O'Connor's work, but she did it with a fresh vision. So you get not only these birds in their funniest, most bizarre form early on. I think that will make children laugh out loud at one point. There's this little bird poking its head up through a window watching Flannery O'Connor read to her friends when she's little. And then later you have the peacock spreading its tail, which Ping Zhu does in the most glorious way. So you really get that sense of the transcendent vision. Right. And of course, you described that you prepared the book in a, a somewhat edited form and provided it to Ping Zhu, the illustrator. Uh, did her work at all um, create any needs for revision from your end of, of this creative collaboration? Sort of. Not, not a lot, really, because I think she was working very closely with the original text, but there were a few alterations once we saw how she imagined the text. And then she actually ended up reimagining a few scenes that we felt would be necessary to tell the full story. There's one in particular that was sort of a late addition, which is Flannery O'Connor walking in the fields of her home at Andalusia in Milledgeville, that, that that was sort of a beat that we'd missed when we had originally imagined the text and the illustrations together. When we got the final art and put it all together and saw it, 
that moment was missed. We needed to have a moment that showed her transition from the busy world of New York back to this quiet world with her mother on the farm with the birds. And I think that scene is just a beautiful image with the sunset. And it was, it was interesting. One of the things that really has struck me about Ping Zhu's work is it's almost like she's, she's been channeling Flannery O'Connor because some of the images, I know she didn't have access to the images that I've later found in the archives, but the one of the nun is so beautifully representative of an image that Flannery herself drew of a nun when she was exactly that age. And I just, I love seeing that. So hopefully at some point I'll be able to show that link between Flannery O'Connor's own work and, and Ping Zhu's work. Well, and I, it just causes me to want to digress for a second. Um, that uh, image in page com or in text combination of the nun. How did you find that detail about her snapping the rubber band of her braces <laughs> and it flying across the room? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> There's other ones too. I the, the list was getting a little long. She also brought snuff to school once, and um, <laughs> oh, and she brought she brought um, what is it? Uh, some sort of weird oil. What's that oil that people take for um, cod liver oil? Cod liver oil sandwiches. <laughs> so she was always doing these little pranks to um, scandalize her teachers. I read that in one of Flannery O'Connor's biographies. I have the actual source somewhere here in my notes, but um, yeah, I read that in one of her biographies. That wasn't directly from the archives. But it is a matter of historical record that she did, in fact, snap her rubber pants and zing them across the room at, at her teachers. Well, and I know you have done it so much during the course of our conversation and especially through the book. Uh, but I want to ask uh, right now, just directly, to, in case it solicits a different response, but um, you know, who is the person that you are celebrating uh, through this book in some of your other uh, research and work on Flannery O'Connor? Well, I am, I am celebrating the person that had a vision, a vision that began when she was a very young child and continued throughout her life. And that vision is one that I personally am so grateful for because it is a vision, as Flannery O'Connor would say, that she is a realist of distances. She was somebody who saw into the distance. But what was absolutely important to her was to have the concrete first and foremost. So you always have that delightful engagement with the, the feelings of the people, the dialect, the, the roads, the descriptions of the places they lived, their physical being, etc. We're always so tangibly immersed in a world. And then beyond that, she uses that world to get to something beyond an existential reality, a spiritual reality, a reality that asks us deep questions about who we are as humans, what the meaning of life is, where we are headed, why we are here, etc. And that is who I'm celebrating, is somebody who was able to come into her own by following her vision, and the vision was this incredibly beautiful one. You're listening to a conversation with Amy Alsnauer about her book, The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor. Wednesday, March 25th, marks the 95th anniversary of O'Connor's birth. Amy Alsnauer had planned to celebrate publication of The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor in Milledgeville on the author's birthday, but those plans were canceled due to the coronavirus. Now, the book includes uh, what I guess is an epigraph quote 
especially prepared for highly intelligent adults and precocious children. What is the significance of that quotation? So I love that. And I think one of the things that really connected me with the woman, Claudia Zobedrick, who is the publisher of Enchanted Lion Books, I asked her initially when we were first talking about my draft, do you like that as an epigraph? And she said, I love that. So I thought, okay, we are on the same page. So that is actually taken, and we note this in our book, that is taken from a book Flannery O'Connor wrote as a child. She wrote a book called A Mistaken Identity when she was 15 years old, the same year her father died. And she actually had two introductions or dedications in that book. The first one was to all nice geese, and the second is the one that you just read. Um, So she switched it at some point. And I think it came from the fact that she was a little bit annoyed that she was getting this wonderful work that she had written, Mistaken Identity, rejected by Macmillan and then Viking. And so that little statement indicates that this book is only written for people who really get it, right? Really smart kids and really smart adults. They're the only ones that are really going to get what I'm saying. So I thought it was a beautiful way to introduce this book that I think is also written in a slightly sophisticated way. It's expecting a lot out of children, but I think that's what children's literature should do. Children are up to it, and the children's books that I love the most always do that, right? They always use a vocabulary that might not usually be used around children because children can handle it. They can figure it out. So I just love that as an introduction to sort of lay the groundwork. And I also love that it pitches the book to adults as well, because I think all the Flannery O'Connor fans out there are going to just delight in seeing Flannery O'Connor's life brought to brought to life in this way through the vision of Ping Zhu and through the words that I put on the page. Now, part of the reason why um, I've asked for um, you to sit for this interview is because you are coming to Milledgeville to celebrate Flannery's birthday. Why is it important for you to make this journey to the place where the author lived and wrote? Well, it's interesting. I've actually made what I call several different pilgrimages to Flannery O'Connor's home. The first one was decades ago, actually. The, The most recent one was last fall when I was visiting the archives, and now I'm coming again, and I no doubt will visit again in the future. There's something that is, you can't really, it's almost like having a relic, right? The relic of a saint. You contact something physical, and you feel in some sense that you're in the presence of the person. You walk where they walked. You see what they saw, and you are there with them. And, of course, even though I didn't want this book to be hagiography and to celebrate her in a way that didn't do her justice, I do think this book is a celebration of her, and I wanted to be in her home, in her homeland, celebrating this book not only on her sacred ground, but on the ground with the other folks who feel the same way about Flannery O'Connor and would like to celebrate with me. And it actually occurs on such an interesting day. There is an exhibit going on about Mary Flannery, growing up Mary Flannery, so about her as a child. And then that evening, um, a scholar, and I'm blanking on her name right now, but the, the topic is reading Flannery O'Connor in the context of children's literature. So I think it's going to be a day devoted to this aspect of Flannery O'Connor's life. So I'm just, I'm excited about the whole day. And I believe um, you've already answered this, but I'll just ask it again. Uh, when you think about the, shall we say, the multiple audiences uh, for your book, The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor, what do you hope they take away from this text? I hope they take away a way of looking at Flannery O'Connor that 
Um, I mean, people have always talked about the Peacocks and O'Connor, but I think by connecting it to this lifelong passage from childhood to the end of her life and even beyond, I think we see this beautiful, this beautiful arc and this beautiful way of thinking about her quest to find the strangest, most beautiful bird, to write the strangest, most beautiful story. And I hope that vision at the end will be taken multiple ways. So I always try to write with multiple audiences in mind and I think that that final image that I leave people with, I hope for some that will resonate as sort of a deeply spiritual image, and for others will resonate as just a powerful statement of the longevity of her work, the power of her work continuing on in our lives. People are continuing to write about her all the time from all sorts of perspectives. They write about her when they're talking about immigration issues because of her story, The Displaced Person. Her work is, was so insightful, so powerful that it touches people in all walks of life, all cultures. So she's one of those figures that really transcends. Um, I love what Thomas Merton said about her. When I think of her, I think of a figure not like, and he lists huge giants in writing, not like them, like Sophocles, which is, I mean, what more can you say? She was, she was a genius. Well, Amy Alsnauer, I want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Daniel. This has been great. You've been listening to a conversation with author Amy Alsnauer about her new book, The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor. Amy Alsnauer had planned to celebrate publication of The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor in Milledgeville on the author's birthday tomorrow, March 25th, but those plans were canceled due to concerns about the coronavirus. You can learn more about The Strange Birds of Flannery O'Connor on author Amy Alsnauer's website, amyalls.com. That's the author's name, Amy, A-M-Y, Alls, A-L-Z, all one word, dot com. On behalf of WRGC 88.3 FM, I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. I enjoyed spending a portion of this evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.